All right, Ezekiel 16, beginning in verse 49. It says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Yeah, and you can see here at verse 49, people say the real problem with Sodom was, is listed here. She and her daughters, that's the other cities, had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. And they say, see, the, the real issue here is, is what that verse is saying, and we don't deny that what that verse is saying is absolutely right. They did have an abundance of wealth. They were living in a rich, fertile area at the time. Now, it's, now it's, you can't grow a plant there anymore, in the, you know, at the, basically of the Dead Sea. And uh, at the southern end of the Dead Sea is where Sodom and Gomorrah and these other cities were. And uh, today, all you have is literally waste and, and salt waste in that area. But at the time, it was a fertile place. That's why Lot, remember Lot chose that as the better land in Genesis 13? So they had all kinds of prosperity. That their, their economy was wonderful. They were rich. They had great amounts of food. And it's true that they did not care for those who were poor and needy. And verse 50, let's, let's not leave out verse 50 in the conversation. They were haughty. And they did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Um, that word abomination is important. You remember from Leviticus, the word abomination is used? Here's something we did not mention the other week. And this is, I think, a significant piece of information. In Leviticus 18 and 20, the word abomination in the plural, abominations, is used several times. And it refers to all the sins of the Canaanites lumped together. This includes all the different kinds of sexual immorality, child sacrifice, all those things are called together cumulatively in the plural, abominations. Okay? No, that's, that's easy, right? Here's the thing that is, I think, fascinating. Only, now, I'm not making this up. I'm not kidding. You can look this up in a Greek word app, and you can look through all the uses of the word abomination in Leviticus, which I've done, and you can do it. It's very easy to do. In the book of Leviticus, the word abomination in the singular, in the whole book of Leviticus, think about all the laws that are in Leviticus. Like, if you've read Leviticus, aren't there a lot of very specific laws? Tons of laws. Out of all the laws in the whole book of Leviticus, only one sin in the whole book is in the singular called an abomination, singular. You, you get what I'm saying? So they, they have a list of sins, like they'll have ten sins listed, and they'll call them abominations in the plural. But only one specific sin is singled out and called an abomination in the singular. And it doesn't just happen once. It happens twice. Only one sin is called an abomination in the singular in all of Leviticus, and it happens twice to the same sin. A man shall not lie with a male as with a woman. They have both committed an abomination in the singular, and they shall be put to death. Same, so the, the two times in all of Leviticus that the word abomination attaches to a single sin, it happens to the same sin twice, and it's the sin of homosexuality. Now, first of all, does that tell you that God takes homosexuality quite seriously? Yes, it does. The second thing it tells you is look, look back at Ezekiel 16.50. So we know that they were inhospitable, that they were not caring for the poor, that they were arrogant, that they were prosperous and not caring. But look at verse 50. They were haughty and they did an abomination in the singular before me. So I removed them when I saw it. I think the argument is strong that the phrase an abomination in the singular is referring to Levitical law. And what's the singular an abomination in all of the Levitical law? It's a man lying with a male as with a woman. 
they have committed an abomination. So I think their homosexuality is actually being included right there with the word an abomination in the singular. Uh, and, and you can look at the Hebrew, is very similar to Leviticus, and DeYoung and others point this out. So that, that's one thing I think is worth mentioning. But let's go to Jude. Yes. Let's Jude. go to the almost last book of the Bible, second to last book of your Bible, because this is an important passage. Jude, as you know, is only one chapter long, but it mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's a very important reference. Are you there, Greg? Yeah. Can you read verses 6 and 7? Yeah, be happy to. Um, Jude, verses 6 and 7. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yeah, so Greg, what, what's the significance of verse 7? Well, it's linking what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah in terms of God's judgment to their sexual immorality specifically. Explicitly, Explicitly, yeah. like specifically, explicitly, you can't get around that. Um, and what's interesting, you look at what he says. It says they, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Now, some have tried to say, well, that just means they were pursuing angels, but there's no indication in the text that the men of Sodom knew that those, the individuals who rescued Lot were angels. There, there's no indication in the text that they, knew, that they mm -hmm. knew they were angels. The other thing is, it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. And so if you're going to say they, that's angels, then you have to say that these cities like, were routinely engaged in trying to rape angels and like, have, you know, commit sexual immorality with angels, which just doesn't make any sense. Um, what does make sense when it talks about unnatural desire or other flesh it's talking about that which is contrary to nature. Um, again, you keep in mind the context of the Old Testament, the context of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all that took place there, and this is talking about what? Homosexuality. It's clear that it's talking about that. And it's saying they underwent, as an example of hell itself, their destruction was an example of eternal punishment um, on that sin specifically. Um, and so, again, what was the abomination, as Mark was saying, from Leviticus? And here they were indulging regularly in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, meaning they went men with men in a, going completely contrary to nature. So what we could say is Sodom and Gomorrah is not the first passage I would go to if I was talking to, a, to someone about this issue. This would not, this would not be my go-to first mm. passage because it's caught up with a, a plurality of sins wrapped together, and it can make it a little complicated. But Sodom and Gomorrah, God condemned those cities to the, the, the fire of judgment for multiple reasons. So let's just list the things that are clear in Scripture that they were doing that were sinful that brought about the literal fire and brimstone judgment, as, which is a foreshadowing of hell itself or a type of hell for anyone who, who rejects Christ. So number one, we know they had pride, like Ezekiel said. They had excess food but did not care for the poor. That's legitimate. They were inhospitable. That certainly is true. But the, the mode in which their inhospitality played out was not simply that they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't like uh, provide the basic uh, necessities for people. No, they, they actually uh, attempted uh, rape on a mass scale. All the men of the, you, know, you remember the language? I mean, it's hard to even read it out loud. It's so intense. Genesis 19. 
when the two angels the, who looked as men appear in the city, Lot goes out, Abraham's nephew, he says, please come into my house, it's too dangerous for you to stay out in the town square at night, and that he insists, so the two men who are actually angels, the two men go into Lot's house, and they close the door, and it says, then all the men of the city, the young and the old, every man down to the last number, it emphasizes the totality of men from young to old, came to the house, and it's, they, they said that they, they, they knocked on the door, and they said to Lot, bring the men who are visiting out that we may know them. And now, that may just sound like get to know, like, you know, the word know, like, I want to get to know these, these strangers, but it, it's explicitly not that. It has to be the sexual knowing because, a couple things here. Remember Genesis, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and gave, gave birth to Cain. So, know can mean have a sexual relationship with, but I'm sure that's what it means in Genesis 19 because a couple verses later, this is disgusting, it's awful, it's sinful, it's wicked. Lot himself, who turns out to be a believer. Second Peter says he was a believer, uh, I mean, barely hanging on by the skin of his teeth here, but Lot goes through this moment of pure failure. He says, how about instead of sending out the strangers, I send my daughters out to you who have not yet known a man. That means they're virgins. It doesn't mean they haven't gotten to know a man, right? So the word know in context has to mean sexual knowing. And so when, when they say, bring the men out who are with you that we may know them, they mean that we may have sexual relations with. Lot says, I'm going to send my daughters out who are virgins. They've never known a man. And then Lot, uh, Lot was about to do that when the angels struck the crowd of men blind, and then uh, they're unable to get in the door, and eventually they get out the next morning, and they, they flee. They get out of there. But it is very clear that you not just have inhospitality, you have... Uh, rape is, of course, part of it, but also uh, along with that, you have the sin of homosexuality. So th these are all the sins that cumulatively together were, were the reason God destroyed the city. But homosexuality uh, is clearly one of the sins, one of the chief sins that, was, that, that they were guilty of. Anything else on that point? Well, it's interesting, too. Um, it's a kind of a, a related point is it was pervasive throughout their culture. It wasn't something that just a few were doing. It was something that was promoted. It was kind of like a standard of behavior. It was celebrated. It was normal. It was considered good, not evil. Um, and so when they wanted to, you know, have sexual relations with the angels, they're doing what they'd already been doing and was a normal practice for them. It wasn't like it was an outlier group, like a small group who's going against the will of Sodom and they're just, you know, oh, we know we, we wish these guys weren't here. We're trying to get rid of them. It was everyone. And so I think as much as I don't like saying this, I mean, Paul picks up on this um, to some degree in Romans 1, where homosexuality is normalized and celebrated and promoted as a good thing, God's judgment is sure to come. And that, that itself is part of God's judgment, yeah. referring to his passive wrath. At the, yes, I'm, yes I'm, I'm thinking of actual active, right, right. The, the destruction of a society, the overthrow of a society. But yes, the giving up to that is, is the first stage, and the second stage is the actual bringing, upon, uh, bringing destruction upon a society. I mean, it's frightening to think about that, um, but that's exactly what happens. I mean, again, the, the Canaanites, as we've mentioned several times, were regularly engaged in this, and it was because of their sexual immorality and their homosexuality, that God said the land vomited them out. I mean, it brought His judgment because it was normal. It was okay. It was celebrated. Um, same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah and what we're starting to see in our own land today. Yeah, and I'm going to test to see if the audio is working here with my, with my computer. Okay, it is working. So thank you all for, for fixing that. Okay, I've got, I've got, these are going to be a little bit, probably a little bit, 
not graphic, but just hard to watch. I mean, I, I, I grant you, this is going to be a little hard to watch, but I'm going to show you a few brief clips. Uh, and th- this first one, it, this came out maybe a year and a half ago, uh, or yeah, about a year and a half ago. This made the rounds. It, it, it really it had, I don't know how many views on, on YouTube when it first came out. This is just... Just hang with me here for a second. This is the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir from July of 2021, and I'm going to show this for a purpose, okay? I'm not just doing this just to do this, Uh, and I'm just going to show you a very brief part of their song that they wrote, and I want to show you that, uh, now they got, even even secular people got mad at them for this, okay? So they had to actually try to walk it back and say, well, we were just kidding, we didn't really mean what we were saying, but but you can hear that they're not kidding about what they're saying here. Listen to the message about the, about the desire they want to have over influence over people's children who don't agree with them on, on same-sex relationships. And I'm going to show you some clips of how this is actually working out in society today. So here, here we go. Let's see if the audio will work here. Learn to love, learn to vogue, face your fate. We'll convert your children. Someone's got to teach them not to hate. And then, then, well, let me, let me let it go a little longer here. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. Okay, so you can clearly hear, we're, we're, we're going to get your kids, and then when we get your kids, they're going to convert you, and so the whole culture is going to change and agree with us because we're, we're starting with the kids. If we can get your kids, they will convince you, the parents, and then they'll, we'll get the whole culture on our side. Now, they got in so much trouble, even from secular people on this, that they said, we're just kidding. And I'm not quite sure what the joke is if they're kidding, but it's very clear to me in the culture that no one's joking about this. And let me just show you here, and this again, this is going to be hard to watch these next couple clips as well. Y'all remember Blue's Clues, don't you? This is like that innocent kids show for like six-year-olds that you may have grown up watching some of. This is, I mean, this seems like it's fake. This is a real clip from, it has almost four million views on YouTube. This is Blue's Clues. You'll see how far Blue's Clues has, has fallen since maybe you were a child. I mean, this is hard to watch. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. Okay, now, this is almost impossible to watch, but if you see, they keep going here, they... Hurrah, hurrah. Families marching three by three, hurrah. These babas are non-binary. Remember, it's not mama, it's not daddy. You got babas now, like this combination word. They're non-binary, they're neither male nor female. Trans members of this family all love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in. Okay, just go a little further here. By five, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching five by five, hurrah, hurrah. Some people choose 
their family. They love each other so proudly and they all go march. Okay, a little further here just so you can hear what they're talking about. By six. Hurrah, hurrah. Ace, by and pan, grown-ups. You Ace, by and pan, grown-ups. You see, can love each other so proudly and they all go marching in. <sighs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? So, and I've got, believe it or not, I have one more here. Um, this one is also, this is even like three years old now. This is, uh, is this Good Morning America? Yeah. Remember Arthur, the show Arthur? I grew up, I was in fourth grade, I watched Arthur. I remember to this day, I was nine years old. I remember watching Arthur, I, I enjoyed that show. Now listen to how uh, Good Morning America pitches this story. So watch the story, but also listen to how Good Morning America pitches it. Fallout surrounding a popular children's show, Arthur. Alabama Public Television refusing to air a recent episode featuring a same-sex marriage. Paula Ferris has more on that story for us. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, Robin. The episode aired nationally last week, except in Alabama, where it was preempted with a rerun. And this morning, Alabama Public Television is defending its decision. And I see... This morning, cartoon controversy after Alabama Public Television refused to air the premiere episode of the hit children's series, Arthur, which depicted a same-sex wedding of one of its most popular characters. Who's getting married? <laughs> Me. In the episode, Mr. Ratburn, Arthur's teacher, was seen walking down the aisle with his aardvark partner. Mr. Ratburn is married. I still can't believe it. Yep, it's a brand new world. The episode, part of Arthur's 22nd season, already aired on PBS stations nationally, but kids in Alabama will have to find it elsewhere. Mike McKenzie, director of programming of Alabama Public Television, tells AL.com, although we strongly encourage parents to watch television with their children and talk about what they have learned afterwards, parents trust that their children can watch APT without their supervision. The decision sparked a flurry of outrage on people. Yeah, I'm gonna skip to the end here. Characters visited a girl who had two moms. As for this episode, APT has no plans on airing it at a later date. It is available on the website, on PBS's website, though. Teachable moment lost. Right. A teachable moment lost in Alabama. So, now get this. You have Arthur having a same-sex so-called marriage between, the, I don't remember the character's name, but that you saw there. And the story is not like how shocking and radical that is. What's the story? The story is there was a state in the, in the United States of America in this day and age, there was a state that wouldn't air it on their TV show. They ran a rerun instead of running that new episode. Like the, 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 the story is how evil was Alabama for not allowing that to go on the air that, that particular week. That's the story. The story is not what Arthur is demonstrating for nine-year-olds and eight-year-olds. The story is that one state wouldn't show it. I mean, you, you see the, like when Isaiah says people call evil good and good evil, they call sweet bitter and bitter sweet. That is precisely what you're seeing here. So, so that um, the idea that, that the, the target is our children is literally true. It is, is actually literally true. And the idea is, of course, if they can get the children, that they can win the culture at the end of the day. Thoughts on, on that? Um, I mean, one, protect your kids. Know, know what's out there. Um, we don't shelter our kids completely from the world, but as parents, we are tasked with you know, introducing them to the world and helping them to think through the world um, according to what Scripture says. And so um, just be very careful what you let your kids watch unsupervised. Um, 
and be aware that there is an agenda. I mean, like, it's, it's not a conspiracy theory to say, it's theory to say that. It's, it's absolute truth. They, they know kids are very impressionable. Kids are going to want to be loving, caring, kind, compassionate. And so the earlier you get this in their heads, that this is normal and good and right and should be celebrated and it's beautiful, um, the earlier you get that in their heads, the harder it is to get it out later. Because reflexes in response to life are shaped by these kinds of things. You watch kids' shows, and kids are taught a lot of times through the stuff they watch, um, you know, how you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to respond. You should respond with happy thoughts to some things. You should respond with angry thoughts to other things. And they're trying to teach kids that they should respond with happy, loving thoughts to something that is clearly sinful and an abomination in God's eyes. Um, and so, you know, early on especially, protect your kids. Like, that's not saying we're going to, you know, hunker down in a bunker and never... You never even admit that there's a world out there. There absolutely is. But parents, we're going to stand before God and give an account for how we raised our kids. And when that's the agenda that's out there, we have to be extra careful. We just absolutely do. Um, as kids get older, obviously, you can, I mean, you, you talk about things age appropriate, like the books you were mentioning. It's good to be, you know, it's a good thing to be a, a boy and it's a good thing to be a girl. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we teach and, you know, celebrate marriage as, as we're able and God's design. But as kids get older, you, you have more profound conversations that, that you have to start talking about things that are uncomfortable. Um, but it's, it's a good thing to have hard discussions with your kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, again, you try to keep it appropriate. You know, and one of the things we said, it's like, and this might be a little silly, but it works. It's like, you know, when it comes just to marital faithfulness, it's like, guess what? That means daddy's only going to, the only woman you're going to see daddy kiss on like this is mommy, you know, or give a hug to. Like, and that's, and, and if I do that with any other woman, then I'm disobeying God and I'm sinning. You know, it's entirely appropriate to where they are, but it gets the point across. Same thing with, with this. It's like, you know, God made a man and a woman to get married. God didn't make it for men to marry men and treat other men the way you see daddy treat mommy. It's sinful to do that. Um, and so, and you, you lay those foundations early, and then later on, as more, you know, more detail and various things come up and questions are asked, then you can have those discussions because you've already laid the foundation. You know, you, you give good examples, you obviously rooted in Scripture, um, and you trust the Lord, you know, to give you the wisdom you need in the moment. Um, but you don't shy away from this. Like, you, we have to have these discussions. Um, otherwise, when our kids go and they find out about this, their curiosity is going to lead them in all kinds of bad places. Well, mommy and daddy never talked to me about this, so i got to figure this out on my own. Um, so parents, grandparents, parents-to-be, take an active role in discipling your children um, on this issue. Yeah, we cannot take for granted anymore that something no. made by non-Christians and even professing Christians is yeah. going to automatically be solid and good for, yeah. for anybody, frankly. Well, it used to be like what we'd see was generally according to nature and lined up with Scripture. Right. It's just not that way anymore. Right. We, we, usually it was like evolution was the one thing we knew was going to come up in public broadcasting. Mm -hmm. So like you knew, okay, they're going to talk about uh, evolution. That's going to come up a lot. You got to be aware of that. That was the one big thing that we had to be aware of. But now it's like you can't trust any show. I mean, 
again, my daughter has watched the show Peppa Pig. Y'all know the show Peppa Pig, little pink pig, little like a cartoon made for like my daughter, four years old. And we, she's seen a few episodes of this show, you know, a year ago. Well, we find out there was an episode now with uh, one of the one of these little pigs has two moms, like a lesbian relationship in Peppa Pig, for, made for like four-year-old girls. And I'm like, holy cow, like that is unbelievable. If I hadn't seen that article, uh, we might have just had her watching the show one day and that might have just appeared on the screen. Like, you know, that's yeah. scary stuff. So you're exactly right in what you say there. Um, now, I, we want to transition a little bit. So let me say one more thing about that. Then I want to transition into something related. I, I've said this already, but I've got to say it again. We, we've got to keep differentiating the agenda from individual broken people who've suffered from this system and need help. Okay? We've got to keep differentiating the woman at the well scenario of someone who's broken over their sin and needs grace and needs gospel, and we love that person with tremendous compassion, or a 15-year-old who's been all messed up by, say, transgender ideology and doesn't know what to think, and they come to you to talk to you because they're someone you know or a relative, that's a person you treat with tremendous tenderness, tremendous care, mm-hmm. patience beyond patience, compassion, slow, uh, to, to, I mean, just, that, that's how you, you wisdom. But when we're dealing with the agenda, which is what I just showed you on the screen, it's a very different situation. We, we are dealing with something that is truly evil. It is trying to deceive and damage and ultimately, can I say it, damn children? They don't know that's what they're doing per se, but that, that's, where, that's where all this is heading. So we deal with the promoters of the ideology with very strong language like we're doing now. We're, 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 mm-hmm. we're calling this out. Whereas the 15-year-old who's broken coming to you, you deal with in a very different way. I think we all know that, but I have to keep saying it because we're dealing harshly with this nonsense on the TV. But if I'm dealing with a 17-year-old student who's struggling with something at school, then I need to talk to their parents. I need to get that student. I need to try to find the right way to, to have compassion on them. But it's a very different scenario mm-hmm. between the ideologues on, on yeah. TV and on, online versus the broken child who's not sure what to do. And I hope that's, I hope that's clear. Now, can we transition yeah. to... Uh, can you tell us a little bit more with who David French is and then connecting it to Phil Vischer? Yeah, um, I'll start with Phil Vischer just because um, anybody in here... Know I'll, I'll put about, him on the screen here. So you, he's the guy right there at the top. Yeah, at the top. Anybody in here heard of VeggieTales? Oh, yeah. Phil Vischer is connected. He's One, Bob the, the Tomato. Yeah, he's Bob the Tomato. He's, in, you know, uh, vital to what VeggieTales was, a part of it. From, from the beginning, is he like one of the producers and stuff like I think, that? Yeah, so, I mean, he's he one was, of the co-creators he or was yeah, all about VeggieTales. It's where it comes from is Phil Vischer. Um, and another guy you may have heard of, may not have heard of, is a guy named David French. Um, David French, for the longest time, was kind of a, he was a former lawyer, I think. He had law studies or something like that. But he was kind of like a, a writer for National Review. He was a really conservative kind of cultural commentator. And early on, it seemed like he had a lot of really good stuff to say. Like, if you wanted a good opinion on a political issue, you'd say, hey, see what David French has to say about mm-hmm. that. Because, I mean, at, at least at first, it seemed like he would offer really well-reasoned, you know, sane, you know, down-to-earth ways of thinking about things. Um, and then within the last six years... Mm-hmm. In the last six years, David French has taken a turn, um, and it started somewhat with the social justice stuff, the way he responded to that. He came out against it, quote-unquote, but some of the things he would say, some of the things he'd write, were starting to (coughs) be like, it seems like you're actually agreeing with what you said you disagreed with. And then the whole same-sex marriage thing comes up, um, and people have had some concerns about him for a while the, the way, you know, we're not, we're not getting into the, the politics of this, but, you know, going back to the election, you know, with Trump, Biden or Trump and, and Clinton, a lot of people 
said there was absolutely no way under the sun, under any circumstances whatsoever, that anybody could ever vote for Trump. And French was one of those guys. And he showed no mercy towards anyone, especially he had his worst words for anyone who professed to be a Christian who might have voted for Trump, you know, for reasons for the Supreme Court or, you know, more likely to have conservative social policy, stuff like that. He had no mercy for people like that, and he never relented. Um, and anytime the name Trump would come up, like he would change and like just vitriol, venom, anger, like just all sense of decorum went out the window. And it's like that triggered something with him. Um, and he continued to just rant against anybody conservative almost, even though while claiming to be a conservative. Can I add something? Yeah. Along, so alongside that, if you're wondering why we're talking about him, he, he's a pretty important cultural figure in the mm -hmm. whole evangelical discussion. And he, he's not just a guy we're talking about. He represents a group of people that are following in his wake who are moving in a, I, we think, yeah. a very unhealthy direction spiritually. That's why we're talking about him. But here's another warning flag where he was saying things. I'm like, what, what does he mean? Probably three years ago, maybe mm -hmm. four years ago, y'all remember the show Game of Thrones, which I hope you didn't watch. Uh, Game of Thrones was known for like, tons of nudity and sex scenes and like all kinds of horribly provocative stuff. Well, David French here is like a Christian, Christian commentator. He was out there saying that he watches it and thinks it's like a good show. Like he went out at a point and was talking about how great Game of Thrones was. And I was like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, this is like a pornographic show and he's, he's talking about how he watches it and it's fine. Yeah. And so there were, there were multiple issues like at the same time where he was leaning in a direction that didn't seem right. Yeah, and it seemed like he was on a trajectory, and it was like, I don't know if I want to see where this is going to end, but we probably are. And so all that to say, you know, he came out when the whole Respect for Marriage Act was signed, and, you know, a lot of people were rightly saying, look, this, this is a bad thing to support this. This is a, a sinful thing. It's wrong. It goes against nature. It goes against God's design uh, <coughs> and all that. French came out and wrote an article saying that he thinks it's a good thing, the Respect for Marriage Act. And, you know, how at this point we surely don't want to ever overturn same-sex marriage in our country because how many thousands or millions of married couples would have to find out that they're no longer married? I'd, he doesn't want to cause them that much distress and pain. And so it's better in a pluralistic society to have to allow for marriage between men and men and women and women. And he has not backed off of supporting that. He's not backed off of supporting it. He thinks it's a good thing. He will say, and, and this, is, this is where it, it should concern you, the trajectory he's on, Phil Vischer and others. Because remember, one of the biggest, biggest things a lot of um, pro-choice people would say that was just so frustrating well, I personally oppose abortion, but I don't believe I should impose my view on other people. You remember that? That is exactly what David French is saying with same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. I personally don't, don't believe it's right, according to my Christian convictions, but I don't believe I should enforce that on everyone else. And what happens in those situations, and it's already happening with him, it's happening, it, it, it doesn't stop there. It's not just, well, this is my part. It's if you don't agree with me, you are in sin and you're, you're akin to all these horrible, horrible things. And like with the abortion issue, you can say that you don't personally support it, but then you end up supporting policies all the time that support it. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly publicly going against what you say you privately believe. And here's the thing. 
If our convictions are formed by Scripture, which is God's Word, God's own thoughts, then no matter whether we're in private or public, we have to live those convictions out consistently. There's no, well, what I do in private is going to be different than what I do in public. Like, that dishonors God. It misrepresents the gospel. It misrepresents Christ. I mean, if He is Lord of our lives, then He is Lord of our lives everywhere. His Lordship affects everything we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, every person we interact with. And the trajectory that I see someone like David French, Phil Vischer, and others on is they are, they are absolutely confusing this. They are absolutely confusing it. They're, they are on a trajectory that if only by the grace of God they won't do this, that if they continue on it, they're going to end up abandoning the gospel and calling things that now they say are sin. They're going to say they're not sinful, and they might even end up questioning whether or not Jesus is the only way to salvation and whether or not the Bible is truly the Word of God. That's where it typically goes, okay? And again, we mentioned Vischer and we mentioned French because they are very influential individuals in the evangelical world. They got their platform, they got their crowd, they got their listeners, and I, I weep over the direction they are going to take well-meaning Christians oh, yeah. who are naive to what they're up to. No, I, I agree. So I'm going to show you about a minute and a half of Phil Vischer. Again, this is Bob the Tomato himself, okay? Bob the Tomato at the top of the screen. And if you're a little confused, I, I, I can't show you a huge <laughs> clip. But basically, uh, Al Mohler came out and was, was criticizing David French publicly mm. on his blog, I guess it was. Yeah. Mm. And he, he basically said, David French, uh, we, we've got to hold on to the nuclear family. We've got to hold on to man and woman as marriage. Like, we have to hold on to that, even on a political legal sphere. Like, we need to conserve the, 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 the nuclear family, the, the male mm. and female aspect of marriage. And Phil Vischer is not happy with Al Mohler, of all people, rather than David French. And this is just part of what he says. And I'm just trying, like, even the notion that nothing genuinely conservative can last, at least not for long. How do we know if that's not a good thing? How do we know what is and isn't good to conserve? If, if, our, only, if our only value is conservation of what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, and now who gets to decide what are the permanent things? Where and now, now listen to what he's about to compare the idea of conserving male and female for marriage in a legal status. Listen to what he's about to compare it to. Where does that come from? Because exactly. for a uh, hundred years, what conservatives fought to conserve in America was racial hierarchy. That was the number one thing conservatives were fighting to conserve because that was a permanent thing, because that was God established, because that was in the Bible, because the one thing that all Confederate theologians agreed on in 1865 was that the Bible was on their side. It was clear the Bible does not have any problem with slavery. So we are trying to conserve the permanent things. Slavery has always been a permanent thing in history. These northern Yankees who don't know how to read the Bible are trying to take away our way of life, and we must conserve it. Now, I'm not done with this clip. Let me just say, and I would love to do a Sunday school at some point on the Bible and slavery, because I think that's a huge hot-button issue that people will use to beat us over the head to try to say, well, look, the Old Testament. Let me just say, in the simplest way I know how to say this, is when you're dealing with Old Testament, they're called eved, which is we translate servant or slave or bondservant. When you're dealing with the Old Testament situation of eved, you're talking about something very different from what America had in terms of the West African slave trade. The West African slave trade was based in kidnapping, right? 
You kidnap someone and you sell them into slavery. Both Old and New Testament explicitly condemn that. Exodus 21, whoever buys a man, whoever steals a man and sells him, and whoever buys the man, they both commit an offense. And I think they're put to death or something in the text. And then 1 Timothy 1 says, enslavers will not inherit the gospel. Enslavers are people who steal someone and sell them into slavery. So to try to act like the Bible supports the African slave trade is clearly incorrect. So uh, whereas the Bible actually does support male and female for marriage. So anyways, let's keep listening. <clears throat> so now we say, oh, yeah, 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 but they were wrong. Oh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't one of the permanent things. Now we know what the permanent things are, and the permanent things are the nuclear family, as came into existence in 1952. That's a permanent thing. And uh, heterosexual marriage. This is coming from the co-creator of VeggieTales. Like, th that is shockingly terrible. <laughs> he, he's, he's saying, listen, like, uh, who are we to say that conserving the nuclear family and male and female marriage is like the biblical and right thing to do? Now, of course, he will say in private, well, you know, I still believe that we're supposed to be male and female, but everything he says publicly is clearly confusing at best. And, he, and, and he, this is not the only time he's done this. He's been saying crazy things on this podcast. What's it called? The Holy something podcast, Holy something, but yeah. Holy Post. But like he, he, he's been saying very confusing things, including on the issue of abortion for, for months and months now. Can I just say, as clearly as I can, the nuclear family started in Genesis 1 and 2. It didn't start in 1950. That is, that is an, an evidence that he has been so influenced by the way people think today, people who hate what the Bible teaches, they have to find that actually, no, biblical teaching, you know, male-female marriage, nuclear family, no, that's just a modern-day, um, you know, last 50, 60, 70 years thing for conservative America trying to enforce their patriarchal, anti-woman, anti-whatever views on people. No, nuclear family, male-female marriage was, was began by God himself in Genesis 1 and 2 at the beginning of everything. To say any different is to go against God. Phil Vischer is denying Scripture. Whether he would admit that or not, he is going against what Scripture teaches. He is directly violating the teaching of Scripture in order to make a savvy cultural point um, and score points with people who, who are going to... He's trying to get the celebration of all the wrong people. He's not concerned about what God says. He's concerned about what the culture says. And when he was asked on Twitter this past, after this came out like recently... And we're almost, we're about to wrap up here, but uh, he was asked on Twitter about his view and he, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but it, it, they said, do you believe that same-sex relationships are always sinful? And he said, I'm not going to answer that right here. And they said, well, why? And he said, well, I, this is not the right place to answer that question on, in public on Twitter. I could talk to, to you about it over a cup of coffee, but I'm not going to mm -hmm. say right now my view on same-sex relationships. That was, he just tweeted that like in the last few days on Twitter. So it's like, wait a second, th this is, this is extraordinarily influential Christian leader, you know, of the last 20 years in terms of, especially for children. And now uh, he's, he's becoming increasingly blurred on, on this issue. Yeah. So we say all that to say, just because something is like Christian and like highly Christianized in our culture and has a Christian fish on it. And like they've been on Christian radio and Christian TV and Christian child networking, like all this stuff, like dealing with veggie tales and stuff. That does not mean that they're going to be trustworthy, even on some of the most basic issues that we're looking at today. So we need to close here in prayer. Keep praying for us one more time, Greg, yeah. and then we'll, we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be grieved at uh, the things that we have seen and heard uh, from people. Uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be grieved at the direction that so much of our culture and so many people are walking. God, we're reminded of what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
that the way is wide and broad that leads to destruction, and many, many walk on that path. But the way to life is narrow, and it is hard. Um, and Lord, regardless of where the world goes, regardless of where the culture goes, regardless of what's popular, um, Lord, I pray that we would prefer Jesus. Work in our hearts that we would prefer your word and prefer your truth and prefer your design um, over anything else. God, regardless of the cost of holding to that position, um, Lord, because we want to be faithful to Jesus. We want to be faithful to your word um, because Christ is the only Savior and your word is the only true testimony about him and it is the only true revelation we have from you about who you are and about what reality is and how we should think about it. And God, may we desire your approval and your applause more than we desire the approval and applause of the entire world combined. God, because to choose the world is to deny Christ. Help none of us in here to do that. Lord, I pray that in light of what we've seen, what we've talked about, that we would be able to make use of that um, in our lives and in opportunities that we may have to talk with others about this. Lord, again, help us be humble, help us be gracious, but help us be firm and unyielding in what is true. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder, we do not have any Sunday school next week. We have Christmas Eve service and no service on Sunday of next week. So I will, we'll, we'll see you guys back here in a couple of weeks.